Hello and welcome back to the Collision Cast, Fender Bender's official podcast, helping collision repair shop operators make money, save money, and work smarter. I'm staff writer Paul Hodawanik, and today we have our second part of our Best of 2021 series, where we look back at some of the, the best, most impactful, most listened to episodes, and we take some snippets for you guys, some of the most and best parts of those interviews and give them to you in a little bit of a bite-sized package so you can reflect on the year. And if you like it, you can go back and find all of these episodes. All of these episodes are available on our podcast feed, whether whatever app you are listening to the podcast on or if you're listening on our website, uh, you can go to fenderbender.com slash podcasts. All the podcasts are there. So we are going to get started, and we're starting with everyone's favorite, Mike Anderson. Mike obviously one of the most respected and knowledgeable figures in the industry, is a regular guest on Collision Cast, and he joined us, one of his appearances, to discuss what his top wishes are for the industry in 2022. I think there's tons of things everyone would like to see from the industry, and Mike, again, one of the most plugged-in people in the industry, knows where everything's going, uh, discusses some of the top things he's hoping for heading into the new year. So if I had a, a top 10 wish list... Um, I think number one on that list is that in our industry, the one thing we don't have is we don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, if I was to talk to any estimator or any parts person, they would all say, I just don't have enough time. You know, I don't have enough time to research over repair procedures. I don't have enough time to follow up on estimates. I don't have enough time to, you know, follow up with the customer or whatever I got to do. Number one is that the, the biggest challenge in our industry now is that administratively people don't have enough time to do everything they need to do. So I think we, my wish list would be around what can we do to give people some time back, mm-hmm. right? And I think number one is if you look at a parts person, a parts person spends 40 to 50% of their time inputting parts invoices. So we need to expedite um, the acceleration of, you know, if you or electronically order parts that you can receive that parts invoice back into your management system to eliminate that. So right now, CCC True Parts offers that, but other parts vendors don't. And they need to, are, are there all parts ordering software solutions need to do that? Because that would give a parts person back 40 to 50% of the hours of their week back to be proactive mirror matching parts or staging parts or whatever the case may be. So I think number one would be that all electronic parts providers and solution, you know, parts solutions um, have a stability for us to input import parts invoices back into the management system to eliminate rekeying those. I think the second thing on my wish list is that we have a better solution or an easier solution for researching and repair procedures. So I can tell you, like I personally wrote an estimate to replace a quarter panel on a vehicle, and I had to pull um, 92 documents with an average of five pages per document. So it was over 400 pages of home repair procedures. And I mean, you know, that takes all day and you can't just write one estimate a day. So we need a a better solution for helping us to know what it takes to fix a vehicle, right? And also to standardize some things like that, right? So instead of me having to go through and look at the torque spec on every single bolt, let me just click a button that just gives me that. The third thing I think would be, and I'm assuming you're recording this as I mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The third thing I, I think is that when it comes to OM repair procedures and ordering parts, I would love to see us have something that is like 
um, my genius feature in my iTunes account that says mm. people that bought this song also like this song or people that watch this movie also like this movie, right? And so that um, we had the ability that if we were writing an estimate, it could say people that looked at this procedure also looked at this procedure or people that bought this part also bought this part, right? And that way, you know, there's no reason we can't, you know, because you hear about artificial intelligence, right? And I, I don't, and and I I think that there's no reason that that, solution can exist right to help mm -hmm. us to better rate estimates and research some repair procedures and bring things to our attention we may not know um i think my fourth thing that i think i would have on my list is in regards to staffing right um i think that our industry is in a very tough spot and um uh, you know i i'll give you an example my nephew is 22 years old and he graduated high school and he went to work for amazon starting out in a warehouse while he was going to college and now he's managing a warehouse at 22 years old and he's making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. He has stock options and they pay all of his college. And how are we going to compete with that unless we find a way to get our wages up in our industry? Right. So whether it's labor rates or not included operations, but if we can't find a way where we can pay people more, right. Then we're never going to get to that safe and proper repair. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you know, finding out how do we get our wages in our industry so they're, you know, we can compete for the brightest talent from other industries like Amazon, right? All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, that was Mike Anderson. If you want to hear the rest of his industry wish lists, make sure to scroll a little further down in the podcast feed and listen to that full interview. Next up is Kevin Rains, one of our great Fender Bender columnists. We had a great discussion with Kevin about how to beat burnout the last two, three years even, have, have obviously been tough for lots and lots of shop owners, business owners in general, and just employees of all kinds. Uh, and there's tons and tons of great info on this podcast about how to get through it. So here's, here's a little bit of that interview. I kind of wanted to ask you um, if you're comfortable talking about it, but I was thinking like a couple years ago, like things were a lot more up and down for you. Like you had health problems um your and you weren't as sure what direction you were going to go in the business and i was wondering like what what was your mindset like at that time did you experience burnout at that at that time yeah you know i i, I see burnout as something that's almost a like a cyclical pattern that it's not it's not for me a a place where that I, I get to that point, I get past that point, and then I never revisit it again. It's mm. almost like there's um, like many burnouts that happen, and it's it's way more cyclical. At least, and as I look back over the last eighteen years, for me personally, um, it's been something that I've had to kind of battle on a more consistent basis. Um, which, again, as you as you battle something, you hopefully can develop new strategies and, and fresh perspectives on how to go after it the next time it comes around. So I feel like I have gotten better at the cycle of being burnout and then kind of recovering from that quicker than I used to. Um, so I do remember some seasons that were were very dark. I did have a lot of health problems at one point that took me out of the game. Um, but there's also like, there's, there's positive ways to, to look at that as well. So um, 
I don't want to have rose colored glasses because it truly is a difficult season. So for people who are in it, who may hear this, like, I want to acknowledge, like, it's painful, it's hard, it's mm -hmm. dark. And some of the things that came out of burnout for me were I had to trust team members that I wasn't sure I could trust, but I had no other choice. And most of the time they stepped up way quicker than I thought that they could have uh, previously. So um, that's again, a small example, but I can remember a specific time when I, I had some back problems and I was laid up and I had a very young manager at the time. Um, and I didn't know how the business was gonna survive without me, but you know, you gotta dance with the girl that brought you is an old saying. So I had to dance with the girl that brought me and he's who was available. And I put my trust in him and coached him the best I could from my, my chair. Literally, I was in a chair for a number of months. Um, wow. And he pulled it off and pulled me through a really dark, dark season. Um, and then went on to lead um, one of our shops from uh, probably about a million dollars up to two and a half million uh, before he moved to another another store. When you, you know, think back to some of those hard times, um, and I'm sure you've encountered these type of shop owners too, who have just been so beat down by yeah. the hard times. Um, how, how do you think people can kind of like fall in love with their business again or with the industry and like find that passion again and reconnect with that? Hmm. I think one of the ways to kind of find passion for back for the business is to really evaluate what got you into it in the first place. So ask, why did you get started in that business? And are you hitting that goal? Was your goal to have more freedom of time and money? Did you want to spend more time with your family? Did you want to draw your family into the family business and then benchmark against those original goals and plans? I think sometimes burnout happens because we get off track with some of the original reasons that we got into this industry or into business in general in the first place. So as we veer away from that, like our gut, our spirit, our soul kind of intuitively knows like something's off here. And sometimes that's burnout is kind of just like a little bit of a warning flag, like, Hey, pay attention to me um, and kind of get back in touch with why you got here in the first place. Another kind of counterintuitive answer for me has been to find hobbies. So when I was in my thirties, like no hobbies, like my, my life was my family and my work. And like, if I had any extra time left over that could go to a hobby, I'd go back to work. <laughs> I think in my forties, late forties, I started to learn like, you know what, like hobbies are actually really important and they kind of rejuvenate us. I love the word rejuvenate. It means to be made young again, to rejuvenate. Um, so I've tried to find things that make me feel young in other parts of my life. And then I bring that energy back into the business. For me, that was riding motorcycles. As a kid, I rode motorcycles. I love experiencing nature at high speeds. There's just something that happens to me. I call it my two-wheel therapy or my four-wheel therapy. Um, I just come back a different person than, than when I go out, when I ride motorcycles. When I turned 50, I took up uh, fishing again. I had kind of grown up fishing with my dad, gotten away from it, re-engaged it, found I had a real passion for it. 
Um, ditto with golf. I'm horrible at golf. I have no uh, misconceptions that I'm going to ever be good at golf. <laughs> it's fun to be outside walking around with a stick in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think another thing too, is that, and you mentioned this too, is like, there's certain seasons, I think, in your work life, like where you do have to like grind it out or whatever. And then, and you're in growth mode, you're trying to get somewhere. But then there is also seasons where you can't always be doing that. You can't be burning the candles on both ends. But I think some people still get stuck in that mode where they never reach that next step. Or like we were talking about, like, I have a hard time reaching the prosperity stage Mm -hmm. um, of their business life cycle. How do you think that you are finally able to, to get to that point? And how did things click for you that you were able to create sort of the career that you wanted actually for yourself? So I've told this story before, uh, even at Fender Bender conferences, but I have a friend who uh, owned 14 shops and he told me once, and this is when I had one shop and I was thinking of going to two. He told me the hardest thing he ever did was run two shops. The easiest thing he ever did was run 14 shops. So again, it goes back to that scale idea. And I know not everybody is cut out for scale. Hopefully my other counter example of even my dad's shop and my sister, who's very much modeled her career after my dad's and squeezing the profit out of one location. She's doing fantastic. Like that is certainly one model to work within. But what I find with single store operators often is when a key person moves on, even for good reasons, and this is happening a lot as we, as we know in this time, um, there's been some key people leave her shop, my sister's shop, and my dad's shop, and it puts them into a little bit of a tailspin and mm-hmm. they have to fill that seat. Scale for me has allowed me to move people between shops and also to hire people with operational skills that I don't have that can help me integrate all my shops uh, together. So the answer for me in my career has been to scale. And I know that's not going to be true for everybody, but it's certainly played out that way for me as I move now into my early 50s. I'm finding that like scale has been a a true gift uh, to me. All right. Back again, everyone. Kevin, Kevin's great. Hope you enjoyed that discussion. Uh, again, former shop owner and current Fender Bender columnist is Kevin Rains. And finally, we have Jason Hope of the Boyd Group. Jason is the Vice President of Business Development and Strategic Projects at the Boyd Group, obviously the operator of many, many Gerber locations all throughout the country. He joined me to talk about the Boyd Group's expansion strategy, what they look for in shops, and how they deal with shops, the kind of the process once they've acquired them. Really, really informative in interview looking into one of the biggest consolidators that is in the industry right now. Hope you enjoy. When you acquire a shop, I've, you know, I've talked to independent shops who are maybe looking to sell and some of them are worried about, you know, okay, we're a mom and pop shop. A lot of the people came to us because of that, like our employees did. I mean, from the employee side, they wanted to work here. Maybe they weren't um, necessarily looking for a big corporation. And, you know, a lot of times when you're acquiring those, those you're hoping those people can stay on if they're good. What, what does that transition process look like for the employees that are existing on there? What are, what is your team doing to make sure, you know, 
they, they believe in us and we can get the most out of them. And so that they're not jumping ship or anything like that is, is there something that you go through when to kind of get those employees to, to, you know, get on board with the, with, with your company? Yeah, that's a great question because it's, it's something that I would say is, is probably not probably, but it is one of the most important things for us um, relative to what we do uh, with acquiring new businesses and integrating, integrating these businesses. Um, You know, this is one of the things on the timing side that I, I kind of uh, implied on the earlier question, but you know, we work really, really closely with the seller on what does that integration look like? Um, you know, we, uh, the last thing we want to do is, is, you know, have team members that, um, that leave the company. Um, that's, that's the worst thing that can happen. And so we're very sensitive to that. We'll work directly with the seller. We have a dedicated team of professionals that, you know, will work hand in hand with the seller on the integration process, including, you know, how to notify employees, when to notify them. Um, and just go through that whole process. I think one of the things that's important relative to this, it's, it's really, I think, you know, a function of void. You know, our, our, our goal as a company is to wow every customer and be the best. And, you know, that applies, you know, to our, our clients, our customers, but it also especially applies to our sellers and our new team members. Um, and one of the things that we're focused on is just ensuring a smooth and successful transition. We believe that we have a, a great value proposition for individuals that have worked, you know, as a part of the single shops. Um, and, and actually, we found that if, if we're able to get in front of team members and share with them who we are as a company and the opportunity that they have when they join us, um, we actually we actually find a lot of team members that are really excited about the transition because they see, you know, certainly they, you know, maybe they had the fears before about joining a big company, but after we've had a chance to get in front of them and, and show them who we are and talk to them and talk to them about the opportunities, I think they see that they, you know, with this comes great opportunity for them as well. Uh, switching gears just a little bit. Uh, I know a few months back, expanded into Hawaii, uh, which at, I think at that time put the Boyd Group in 30 states. Uh, I'm not sure if it's expanded a little bit past that at this point, but what when you are kind of going into a new market or a new territory, uh, what, what comes along with that logistically for the company to make sure that those shops can succeed? Um, I think when you see expansion, usually you kind of see it growing like from coast to coast or something. A lot of times it's not in small pockets all throughout because it's a little harder to maintain that, um, you know, behind the scenes when you're going into a market, maybe you aren't, you know, don't have a ton of, of presence in what considerations are you, are you making? Yeah. Um, you know, I think Hawaii is a good example, right? Maybe, um, because of its geographical distance relative to where we are today. Um, you know, and one of the things that really stood out for us with that transaction was, you know, is the leadership team there. Uh, we spent a lot of time up front working with uh, the sellers who were fantastic to work with and, and getting, getting to understand the culture of the business and how they operate and, and what it would take uh, for us to 
feel confident about our ability to integrate this company. And so, um, you know, I would say that when it's in a new territory, I would say we probably spend more time up front just understanding what this what the opportunities are there for us and what kind of leadership team exists um, and, and how we might, how, how we need to leverage our partners to make sure that, you know, any potential pitfalls are, are mitigated or avoided. Got it. In, in terms of just the overall strategy for expansion, obviously it's a, it's a pretty aggressive one uh, being that you guys are acquiring stuff so often and you're very large, but how would you kind of describe it? What, is the growth strategy that you all envision at the Boyd Group? Yeah, so you know, I think uh, our growth strategy is is really one that uh, I think is has been consistent probably for the last decade. And you know, we've we've publicly stated that you know our 2025 goal is to double the size of the business again, um, and that really is applies to all lines of business within Boyd. And so it implies a, a compound annual growth rate of about 15% per year. And, you know, between same store sales growth and new unit growth, we think that that goal is, is realistic. How did that shift at all during COVID? Was it, did it accelerate it because of the consolidation? Did it slow it down? What now, now that we're kind of a little bit removed, I mean, we're still in it a little bit, but now that we're removed from, you know, a bulk of it, where, how did that kind of net out? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it, it, um, it changed our approach or our thoughts relative to our goal. Um, you know, going into COVID, uh, we have a strong position. We had a strong position uh, in the marketplace and we still have a strong position today and, and we feel, I would say, as confident about our ability to achieve our goals as we did prior. All right, everyone, that will do it for today. Thanks again for listening and thank you for listening the last two weeks in these Best of 2021 podcasts. Uh, it was good to reflect, take a look back at some of the best podcast episodes that we've had this year, uh, but starting next week and moving forward, all new content coming for you for the rest of 2022. And hopefully this time next year, we will have tons and tons of great things to review. So exciting year ahead for Collision Cast. Thank you again for listening. And if you enjoyed these podcasts, make sure to go check out the repository of podcasts that we have hours and hours of content that you can listen to. And most aren't time sensitive. So there is a wealth of information that is still very useful dating back a year, two years, you can go back really, really far and find tons of valuable tips. So I would highly recommend if you've got some free time to do that. We will see you next week. Bye.